Listen, uh, hey, I'm, I'm Daniel. I'm the executive pastor here. I do want to say, first off, happy Father's Day. It is Father's Day, and I know that for a lot of people that means you're not here, and for a few people that means you are here. So for the fathers that came out on Father's Day, and especially happy Father's Day to you, I also want to say happy anniversary to my lovely bride, Tamra. We've been married for 12 years. 12 years? 12 years. 12 years today. 12 years today. So happy anniversary. Uh, who in here likes to watch HGTV? Who, who likes HGTV? Nobody? No? 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 Nobody? Okay, I'm just kidding. There's actually a lot of hands. Uh, yeah, so HGTV. Um, actually, a lot of us like to watch HGTV. In fact, in 2018, they said it was the fourth most highly watched cable TV network. HGTV was. Uh, because we love home makeovers, don't we? Home makeovers are great. Uh, who loves Fixer Upper? Uh-huh. Chip and Joanna Gaines. Uh, you don't just love their work, you also love their family. Uh, or there's the Property Brothers, Jonathan and Drew Scott. Uh, which one's cuter? Which, which one, the, the, the uh, Drew or Jonathan? Which one's cuter? Yeah. Both of them? Yeah, I mean, they are identical twins. So, <laughs> okay. Um, now, how about this one? Uh, Windy City Rehab. Anybody familiar with that one? Um, this one they do down in Chicago. And... I have not actually seen this one. I'm way out of the HGTV loop. So does any, has anybody seen this one? Can tell me what it's about? No? Okay, so not one of the more popular ones, apparently. Uh, but, okay, so what the teaching resource group tells me about Windy City Rehab is that this young lady, Allison, Allison Victoria, she takes a neglected Chicago suburban house, and like this one, and she transforms it into something more like that. Or, you know, a, a typically outdated and neglected Chicago kitchen, and she makes it look more like this. Ooh. Now, how many of you would like to have that team come and spend a, a couple of weeks at your house? Or any of those teams, right? I mean, it's like, hey, Chip, Chip, Chippy. Not Chippy. Okay, right. Yeah, not Chippy. Uh, uh, how you doing? Uh, listen, listen. Uh, I was thinking, you should, you should uh, pack up the kids. Uh, bring the wife and take a little road trip up to Wisconsin. Yeah, I know you live in Texas. Yeah. Uh, no, but seriously, like uh, I've got a couple of couches down in the basement where you guys can crash and uh, maybe just uh, hang out for a couple weeks and uh, tell me what you think of the house. Right. Yeah. Okay. Great. See you then. Right. I mean, that would be awesome, wouldn't it? Like to have them come in and just, oh, I don't know. HGTV has made us lovers of transformation. We love a good home transformation. Fresh coat of paint some fancy throw pillows, maybe some shiplap. Do you know what shiplap is? Is it, is it like some reclaimed boat wood or something? I don't know. Uh, we love transformation. So we love to see the before and after, the big reveal, which leads me to ask, what kind of transformation would you like to see in your life? What kind of transformation would you like to see in your life? I'm not talking about crown malting or hardwood floors. I'm not, 
I'm not uh, tearing out a wall for an open concept floor plan. I mean inner transformation inside. I mean a renewal of your mind, a renovation of your heart, a transformation of your life. Because let's face it, sometimes life, it feels like that, doesn't it? Right? I mean, whether it's stress at work, anxiety in relationships, frustration with your own behavior, let's, let's face it, sometimes life is tough. And transformation doesn't just happen. Do you ever think, I wish I could be more joyful in the midst of all this hardship? Or I just wish I had a bit more patience with my kids when dot, dot, dot. Or if I just had a bit more self-control, maybe I could stop doing whatever. Change is tough. Transformation doesn't just happen. Life transformation is a lot more difficult than home renovations. Don't you just wish there's like a general contractor that you could call who would tear down the old stuff, the patterns of sin, and the discouragement, the frustration. He could show you a new vision for your life, design something beautiful in the old space, and just completely transform us into something new and amazing. Something that doesn't look anything like the old me or the old you. Don't you wish for that? Wouldn't that be amazing? Guess what? You're not going to believe this. There is! There is! Last week we started a new series. It's called Open. And it's all about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, right? Stephen talked about how Jesus was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and used that power to do miracles. And then how after he left, that same power was given to the apostles to do more and greater things. And how we can receive that same power if we're open to it. See, before Jesus, the way the Holy Spirit would work is he would come down on one person, one person. That person was typically called a prophet. And that person would have the power to do miracles and he would have the conviction to uh, reach out to his community and say, this is what you're doing wrong and this is what you need to change. And he would prophesy. And then after his mission was complete, the Holy Spirit would leave him. It was very task-oriented. It was very mission-based. Then Jesus came And God opened up the heavens and the Spirit rested on him. And he used the power of the Holy Spirit to do miracles and to prophesy. And then he died and that power of the Spirit raised him back to life. But after Jesus, the Spirit didn't just rest on one person. It came down on all the apostles And after the apostles, thousands more came to follow Jesus and the spirit rested on all of them. And it wasn't just for one thing. It wasn't just for a mission or a task. It wasn't just for their, you know, a couple of months. It stayed. The spirit was with them always and it just kept going. And I don't know why you're not all shouting it, joy at this, because this is absolutely the most exciting thing about our faith. I mean, do you know what it means? Do you understand it? Because 
This means that God is not some old Santa Claus guy up in the sky who created the world, gave us some rules, and sat back to watch it burn. Jesus is not just some dude who lived 2,000 years ago and said a couple of profound or, or provocative things and then flew back up into the sky where he came from. See, God's not just out there. I mean, he is out there. God is omnipresent, which means he's everywhere. But God is not just, not just out there. He's in here. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's in here. God is not another name for nature. God is not a concept that encompasses the universe. God is personal. And he sent his spirit to be in here. Where's God? In here. Where's God? In here. Where's God? In here. There you go. Okay. The presence of God is inside of us and he wants to transform us. He has a plan and a purpose for us and he's going to do amazing things in us and through us if we will let him. Okay, I'd like for us to turn to John chapter 14. Uh, We do have these blue Bibles out in your seats if you want to use them. If you don't, you're welcome to use your own Bible or your Bible app, or the words will be up on the screen for each of the verses that we cover. Let me explain where we are. Jesus is talking to his homies, the disciples, the apostles, whatever you want to call them, his small group. He's hanging out with a small group, and he just dropped a bombshell. They were having a nice, quiet conversation, talking about some of the stuff they've been up to lately. And then Jesus told them, oh, hey, uh, by the way, I'm about to die. Yeah, any day now. Uh, uh, I mean, he says, I'm about to be betrayed and killed. How do you think they're feeling at that piece of news? I mean, how would you feel? Like, Judd tells you in group. So listen, I think I'm about to die. This guy put a price on my head. There's probably a couple guys back in my apartment when I get home tonight. So I'm just letting you know ahead of time. I mean, you're like, Judd, come stay at my house tonight. Don't go home. Like, we'll get you in witness protection or something. Just, what are you talking about? You can't die. Oh, Judd, good luck with your mafia friends, by the way. Um... (laughs) <laughs> back to Jesus. So the disciples, like, they're distraught. They don't want Jesus to go. Uh, he's been doing some incredible things, and they keep thinking he's going to finally free the Hebrews. He's going to extend what he's been doing to the entire nation. He's going to throw off the Roman oppressors. He's finally going to carry it out. But he says, nope, I'm going to die, and I'm going to be gone. And then he comforts them with this. This is John 14, 16 and 17. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him, and it doesn't recognize him. But you know him, because he lives with you now and later will be in you. So Jesus is saying, yes, I'm leaving. But you... You'll never be alone. My father, you know, God, is going to send you the Holy Spirit. 
and he will be your advocate. Okay, I'm going to do that pastory thing where we take one word and tell you how important it is, okay? Uh, that word that's translated as advocate there is in Greek, which is what this text was written in back when Jesus' best friend John wrote it about 1950 years ago. The word is paraclete. Say that with me. Paraclete. Paraclete. Uh, no, Ray, not, not parakeet. A parakeet is a, a small bird. No, 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 no. I, I know that sometimes the, the Holy Spirit is portrayed as a bird, but that's a dove because, you know, when Jesus was being baptized. No, 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 it's just, I'll, I'll, tell, I'll talk to you about it later, okay? Okay, okay. Uh, where was I? Uh, what was the word? Paraclete, paraclete. So uh, Jesus used that word on purpose, okay? Uh, that word has a lot of little nuances, that really help us understand who the Spirit is and what he does. A paraclete is someone who speaks on behalf of someone who's been accused. And this is not like in the formal sense of a lawyer. It's more like a best friend who's serving as a character witness and explaining how there's no possible way you could have done that. This is somebody who knows you well, who stands beside you, somebody who has your back. Okay, that's a paraclete. The paraclete is one who will bring comfort, support, help. He'll teach you. He'll counsel you. He'll convict you when you sin. He'll guide you to the truth. Maybe even tell you about some things to come. Got all that? He's a loyal friend that has your back. A trusted companion that will keep you moving in the right direction, will keep you focused on Jesus. That's the paraclete. Do you have a friend like that? Someone tell me about a friend who's been your advocate. Someone who has your back. Anybody? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know I have a friend like that. My good friend Stephen acts in that capacity for me sometimes. He encourages me. He challenges me. He spurs me on. He prays for me. He counsels me. He's helped me through some rough stuff in the last few years. I don't know if he knows that. Do you know that? No, he doesn't know that. Okay, well, <laughs> I know that I've been able to act in similar capacity for him sometimes, though. Because this is what having friends at church is. Right? We have each other's backs. God uses our Christian friends to grow us, to guide us, to keep us moving on that road back to God. Now think about this. If human advocates can make a life-transforming impact on you just by being present with you every now and then, how much more powerful would it be to have God Almighty constantly with us as our perfect advocate, our perfect paraclete all the time? That's who the Spirit is. That's who the Spirit is. That's what Jesus told us the Spirit would be. 
He turns to his friends who are anxious and full of fear, and he promises that God's own spirit, his essence, his power, he would become their advocate. He's not just going to teach them about hope, about life, about God. He's saying they are going to be filled personally with the source of all hope, with perfect eternal life, with God's essence itself. If you are a follower of Jesus, where does the Spirit of God live? Inside here, right? In you and in me. Okay, so the question today, well, first I'll tell you what the question is not. The question is not, do I have the Spirit? That's a given. Because Jesus didn't say, I might send the Spirit, or hey, I'll send the Spirit to a few of you guys. If you decided to follow Jesus, you've got it. The Spirit is with you and in you. It's a done deal. It's guaranteed. But the question that we do need to consider today is this. Am I open to the transforming presence of the Holy Spirit? It's quite a different question. Do you see the difference? Maybe an illustration will help. Okay, so on this table, I have a glass of water. And this water, for the sake of this illustration, is your life. I also have this little packet right here. You know what this is? It's Alka-Seltzer. Okay, this is the spirit. Now, when I put the Alka-Seltzer in the water, what's going to happen? It's going to fizz. It's going to change. It's going to transform that water into something else, something healing, something different from what it was before, right? So let's go ahead and try it, okay? It didn't work. Why didn't it work? Exactly, because I didn't open it. Perfect. See, you already even know the answer. Let's actually try it. If we're open to the Spirit, well, then it starts to actually do something. There we go. That's the power of openness. If I choose to follow Jesus, the Spirit is there. But until I open up and allow the power of the Spirit to start to change me, nothing happens. Being open is critical to transformation. So what does it mean to be open? Being open involves an ongoing, intentional surrender to the transforming presence of the Holy Spirit. It's up on the screen. Read that again. Being open involves an ongoing, intentional surrender to the transforming presence of the Holy Spirit. Being open is not passive. You can't just prop open the door to your heart and then walk away. You don't just sit around and wait for a divine lightning bolt. There has to be intentionality. It's a kind of partnership. You do a little, he does a lot. 
Paul says this when he's writing to the Galatians. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. He says, walk by the Spirit. He says, keep in step with the Spirit. That's not a one-time thing. Walking with someone isn't a singular thing. It's an active process, a continuous activity. You don't start it going and sit back and watch and somehow you keep walking with them. You have to keep doing, keep doing, keep doing, keep doing. Every step takes at least a little bit of effort. And we've said this before, it's not just walk with the Spirit, it's more like be always walking with the Spirit. Walking with the Spirit is a way of life where we continually surrender to the work of God in us, through us, among us, we're partners with the Spirit. Working with God to accomplish what He has planned for us and those around us. Now, if I had to guess what you're thinking right now, I'd say it's one of two things. Either, I wonder what I'm going to have for lunch today, or, hey Daniel, I, I like where you're going with this. But how do I do that? Like, what steps can I actually take to be open? If you're in that first group, might I recommend the, the place to run down the road with a really great salad bar? It is bathing suit season after all. But if you're in that second group, try this on for size. You can start to live in openness by looking at every day, every encounter, and asking yourself a few questions. How is God at work in this circumstance? How would Jesus respond in this situation? Do you remember WWJD? Am I dating myself a little bit? How could I honor God in this decision? Every decision. How might God be speaking in this moment? You see what you're doing there. At every point in every day, we're either open to the Spirit or following our own passions and desires. Think about that. By default, our brains typically go toward questions more like these. How can I find, how can I find the most favorable circumstance? How can I respond to make myself look better? What decision would advance my interests? Or what do I want to say in this moment? And that's why, as I said before, being open involves an ongoing, intentional surrender to the transforming presence of the Holy Spirit. We let go of our self-centeredness, our selfishness, and we surrender. Is that what you thought I would say? I bet you were thinking something a little more external, like, oh, you should pray and fast and 
and, and read your Bible. Didn't you? Well, guess what? Spiritual practices like praying, going to church, reading and reflecting on Scripture, those are also acts of surrender, of openness. Why? Because they, they help us shape our hearts and minds to follow the Spirit. They open our hearts to God. So why wasn't that my answer? Because it's not the actions that change your heart. It's your heart that leads you to action. I'm going a little off script here, just so you know. This wasn't in my prep materials, but listen to this again. The actions don't change you. You can read and memorize every verse in the Bible and still lead a godless and terrible life. You can meditate and pray 24 hours a day and never connect with God. You can show up for church for every service, go to every small group, every event, even volunteer to tear down and set up or greet or work in the the, the kids' room or anything and never meet God. Millions of people do it every week. Did he just say that? Yes, I did. The actions don't change you. Your actions can't save you. This book by itself is just ink and paper. It's nothing there. So where does the change come from? Where does the power come from? The spirit, right? Without the spirit, without the living God to breathe life and power into them, these activities mean nothing. Without the spirit. The only way to find transformation is to open your mind and your heart and your life up to the transformative power and presence of the Spirit of God. To let him change the way you think and you get there by considering what God would have you do in your daily life and decisions. And the rest will follow. Because as you consider what God wants you to do. You'll ask him. You'll read about what he did and what he taught us. You'll meet with other people who are on a similar journey and discuss it with them. The one comes before. You see it now? It's not the actions that change your heart. It's your heart that leads you to action. Okay, now where was I? Oh yeah, back to Galatians. Here's what Paul says. As we learn to live in a continual state of openness, the Spirit will transform us from the inside out. Remember, he said, if we walk by the Spirit, we won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Those are the parts of your personality that are focused on self. I want to satisfy me, live for my comfort, my ambition, my gratification, It's stressing out when things don't go my way at work. It's lashing out about what my kids aren't behaving and how I want them to behave. It's acting in ways I know aren't good for my body and my spirit. 
And instead, if we're open to the Spirit, if we're living in the Spirit, walking with the Spirit, we can't live focused on how to gratify the flesh. If we're walking with the Spirit, we're too focused on His way of life, and the two don't mix. Now, earlier in Galatians, chapter 3, verse 22, and you know this one already, I bet, Paul says that when we walk with the Spirit, we can see the fruits, the product of that partnership in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Learned that in grade school, right? We walk in the Spirit, and then the Spirit starts to make these attributes grow in us. We walk in the Spirit, and every now and then we have these moments where we notice it. Wow, something crazy just happened at work today. The same kind of crazy thing that always happens at work. And I used to get so upset about that kind of stuff. But today, you know, I just feel so much joy in this. I notice it. It's not the way I used to feel. I am more joyful today. My kid just did about the dumbest thing they could have done right there, and I would have blown up about that kind of behavior a few months ago. But today I felt peace. And I feel like I just showed such patience. Or, you know, God has freed me from that habit. That addiction that was ruining my life, he's given me a new strength to practice self-control. Thank God. The fruit of the Spirit. But a quick note here. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, etc. This is not something you should be working hard for. Don't go home and start practicing patience in the mirror, trying to make it look just right when you're being, quote, gracious with your rebellious teenager. That's not really patience, and that's not real fruit. Just looking patient and saying the things that sound patient doesn't mean you are patient. You might fake it a few times, but eventually the temper is going to come roaring back. Real fruit cannot be learned. It has to be grown. Like Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote in The Cost of Discipleship, fruit is always the miraculous, the created. It is never the result of willing, but always a growth. The fruit of the Spirit is a gift of God, and only He can produce it. They who bear it know as little about it as the tree knows of its fruit. They know only the power of him on whom their life depends. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Tell me, who does that describe? Who do those traits remind you of? Jesus, right? That describes Jesus to a T. The fruit of the Spirit describes the character of Jesus because the Spirit that's producing that fruit is the same Spirit that was in Jesus. When we are open to the Spirit, we will be transformed to be more and more like Jesus. Like Paul said to the church at Corinth, For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed 
into his glorious image. When we are open to the Spirit, he will transform us from the inside out. Remember that prayer that we introduced last week? The prayer? Have you been praying it? If you want to be open to the Holy Spirit, pray it with me right now. God, I am open to your Holy Spirit. Make me ever aware of your presence dwelling in me. Speak to me, transform me, empower me to be more like Jesus. God, I am open to your Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm challenging you, just like we did last week. Begin every day this week with that prayer. And then as we go through each day, ask yourself, God, how are you at work in this circumstance? How would you have me respond in this situation? How could I honor you in this decision? How are you speaking in this moment? The Spirit is ready to do the work of transformation in our lives. He can tear down the old patterns and transform us into something new. He wants to do something new in you and in me. The only question is, are we open?